Do you feel sorry for Theresa May? Sometimes I do. I mean, she's being held. Why yeah. do you feel sorry for Sometimes her? Sometimes I do. Why do you feel sorry for her? Well, I just look at her and just think she looks dreadful. Um, what the actual fuck is going on with this whole politics business? And the, the stuff about me paddling all the nonsense the sea was actually closed. It was a, a red notice. You just can't call it. We will not be caught with no clothes on. I've always been a completely normal UK tax player. It's not in opposition that I want to be, and it's Nicola's desk I want. I want to serve this country <laughs> as First <laughs> Minister <laughs> and its Labour values. You can have the desk, you're just not getting the job. <laughs> If you've been to Peppa Pig World, who's been to Pads? I've anybody who's been to Peppa Pig World. In December, I'll be in Beijing opening up new pork markets. I mean, seriously, besties, what the actual fuck? Hi, your besties. It's me, Jennifer Wan, and this is what the actual fuck is going on with this whole politics business. Well, quite a bit actually. Um, we're a couple of weeks away from summer recess but things are still going on, things are still pretty crazy so we're going to dive right in, grab yourself a drink and a snack, get comfy and cozy and let's go. So the UK government are very, very proud of the fact that they've been able to avoid further striking action by teachers because they've actually finally, after months of disruption caused by the UK government being babies about it, they have finally agreed to a new pay offer. <sighs> Listen... Here's the thing, they could have done this a long time ago, you know, because they will shame the teachers and they will shame the unions and say that they've all been disrupting kids' educations. But the reason that these strikes happened in the first place was because of the UK government. So they could have followed um, a number of the devolved governments who we've seen making deals with unions to try and resolve these issues, actually engaging with what's going on and coming to a positive conclusion. They could have done that months ago, as devolved governments have been doing, but instead they've dragged it out to this point. Um, there are still a number of, of industries that are still striking, um, but they, they finally got their shit together on something. Um, and I, I find the, the whole thing a bit ridiculous, if I'm to be honest. Um, but it, it's the Tories. It is the Tories. So, you know, <laughs> who's shocked? Nobody. Um, one of the things that is happening as a consequence of this, the government has announced that they are pushing up the already quite high fees uh, for visa applications in the UK and also increasing the NHS surcharge for people who are coming to live and work in the UK. So... Um, for those that, that are not aware of... Of, of what that is. 
Um, the NHS surcharge is paid by people who migrate to the UK to enable them to make use of the NHS, which is pretty fucking crazy considering they already pay tax and national insurance contributions. So um, me, as somebody who has British citizenship, I don't have to pay an extra surcharge to use the NHS because my tax, my national insurance, all of that is what pays for the services that I get from the NHS. So then the question would be, why is that not the case for somebody who doesn't have citizenship? I mean, the answer is racism. <laughs> the answer is xenophobia. Um, but the, the, the UK government is, is now increasing that. And they're saying that they're going to use that money uh, to pay for, for this new pay deal for for teachers and i i i'm not really buying it to be honest because firstly as we all know they can find money for random shit whenever they want it but when it comes to increasing pay by quite a small amount, actually, for our teachers, suddenly, <laughs> suddenly, um, suddenly they need a bit of support with that and they need to raise fees somewhere. I, I, I just, I'm finding it a little hard to believe that the increase in terms of application fees for visas and the NHS surcharge was necessary and I do think that it may be the case that they just wanted to do that anyway and this now gives them an excuse to do it. Um, but this also comes in the same week um, that it was reported in The Guardian that Michael Gove's department is handing back 1.9 billion pounds to the treasury that was apparently supposed to be used to tackle the housing crisis because because they're saying they can't find anything to spend it on so the department for leveling up housing and communities is returning 1.9 billion pounds to the treasury because apparently they don't know what they could use it for. They have no idea how £1.9 billion could be used to tackle the housing crisis. Um... Yeah, no, I don't, I don't buy that either. <laughs> And the question I would have is how many other government departments are at this? How many other government departments are saying, oh, you know what? I don't I just I just don't know that we're gonna be able to do anything. So let's just let's just call the whole thing off. Like how many other government departments are just basically passing money back and forth with the Treasury? How many? I think we we probably need to look into this. And is it possible 
that some of that money could be used to fund proper pay deals for teachers, for example? Um, and is it possible that we should look at the fact that these departments apparently just can't be asked to do their jobs. So rather than doing their jobs, they just push the money back to the treasury and then just say, well, we can't really do anything because, you know, we've got, we've got, we've got no money, we've got no money, while ignoring the fact that they've got no money because they just threw it back at the treasury for some reason. Um, so I, I just, I don't really buy or accept the idea that, that the, the UK government doesn't have the resources to help people and give people a better quality of life. I think what's going on is they don't want to. Like they, <laughs> It's really that simple. They don't want to, so they don't. Um, and whenever they're asked about it, they'll, they'll just come up with an excuse. But we know what's actually going on. We know what's actually happening. And honestly, I tire of it. I do. <laughs> I won't lie. Um, but it's, you know, we know how it is. Unfortunately, until we have that election and we get rid of them, we're, we're sort of struggling through this landscape of shit excuses and ridiculousness um speaking of shit excuses and ridiculousness what's liz truss been up to <laughs> oh my gosh uh so liz truss former prime minister full-time clown absolutely ridiculous person she has opened up a new company called the growth commission okay uh <laughs> right um so there was some documentation released by the growth commission i guess to tell us what they're all about let's have a look so in the section under objects and powers let's have a look the objects of the company are the advancement of education for the benefit of the public by promotion of the study and discussion of and the dis <laughs> this is word salad and the dissemination of information and knowledge concerning the economic and social effect and influences of a existing taxes and regulatory systems c proposed changes in fiscal and regulatory systems and d other aspects of public policy, in each case, whether in the United Kingdom or elsewhere in the world. God, how are you going to be talking about the advancement of education when you can't even get your ABCs correct? What is this? I mean, listen, this, this to me just seems like she's trying to set herself up with a new little job for after she probably loses her seat. And I, I just, I just think it's ridiculous. <laughs> I, I just think it's ridiculous. Um, Liz Truss has also been up to some second jobs. Um, so there was uh, some work done by Sky News to look into 
the second jobs of MPs again and how much they're earning. And my God, let's trust. Um, so according to their report, the most lucrative thing she's done since leaving Downing Street was a speech in Taiwan, which I think we spoke about a while ago a while ago, actually, um, she was actually paid £20,000 per hour for that. For her insights into global diplomacy. Huh? Really? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, that's insane. That that is literally insane. I mean, girl. It's the greed for me. It's the greed for me. Speaking of greed, let's get back to Michael Gove. <laughs> you know, I haven't dragged Michael Gove in a while and I, I kind of missed it. Um so Michael Gove um has also been in the news this week because the mirror reported that he has refused to close a loophole that allows the Tories to bring in much more donations from secretive donors, including £190,000 in donations to him. Um, so it was recommended by the Committee on Standards in Public Life that ministers tighten rules on unincorporated associations, which allow for people to make donations effectively in secret, and the government said, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll totally, we'll totally do that. Um, yeah, we'll look at it, whatever, man. Um, they were asked for an update on it this week. And they were basically told, yeah, we're, we're, we're probably not gonna, <laughs> we're not keen, sorry. I wonder why. I wonder why that might be. I wonder. Um, I mean, Jesus. Jesus Christ. Again, it, it really is the greed. It really is just this ridiculous level of corruption that is just achingly apparent in the Conservative Party. Like, it just goes on and on and it never stops. Speaking of Michael Gove, because there's more, there's more. He's been a busy bitch this week, I'll tell you that. Um, so he was speaking at the um, at the COVID inquiry this week. And for some reason, he was recording his own evidence on his phone. But what was the reason? What was the reason? I mean, listen, I'm not I, I'm not one to cast aspersions, as you know, I don't like to gossip, but could it be perhaps that he needs to have a record of what he said? Because maybe some of it was not true. You know what they say. If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember any lies. And I guess if I were a government minister that was in front of an inquiry and I was about to lie and I needed to remember what those lies were in case I needed to reiterate those lies in the future, I might perhaps uh, record a voice memo of myself lying so I could I could have it to look back on in the, in the future. Um, he was reprimanded for that because it is 
not acceptable for him to be doing that during the session. How did they find out? Well, he had a little tech oopsie moment because <laughs> he accidentally started playing the recording during the session. <laughs> I don't even... Honestly, what a ridiculous man. What a ridiculous, ridiculous man. But speaking of the ridiculous, guess what time it is? It's her moment. It's her big moment. It's Nadine. Dun, dun, dun. Nadine Doris, our Nadine, queen of chaos. She, I mean, I, I would say she's back, but, you know, she never left. She has always been um, just making a mess everywhere she goes. Uh, so she wrote, um, she wrote a poor me column in her mail um, column recently. Did Halifax penalise me for being a Tory MP? Probably not, Nadine. Probably not. Um, I, I, I feel like she has this huge delusional sense of importance. Like she really thinks that she is that girl, and she's not. She's nothing of the sort. Um, she's also inflicting another book upon us. We did talk about this a while back before, but there's some more details that have come out this week. She's very proud of it. Um, she's got a pre-order link. <laughs> So the book is called The Plot, The Political Assassination of Boris Johnson. It's got a blue cover, you know, blue for Tories and whatever. Wrong shade of blue to be for the Tories, I think, but whatever. Um, they've got a picture of Boris. He looks pretty rough. Um, the people deserve to know the truth, says the accompanying image. So she tweeted, I began to write about how one of our most electorally successful prime ministers had been taken down. What I discovered was a fault line in the Tory party stretching back decades involving the most Machiavellian political dark arts. <laughs> Bitch, what the fuck is this? She is so obsessed with him it's so weird it's so weird i have never i have never seen a girl this down bad in my life i'm embarrassed for her i'm embarrassed anyway so i take it writing this monstrosity was what she was doing instead of turning up to her job that we pay her for that she was elected to do. Because let's not forget, Miss Nadine, she has not been at Parliament in a while. She has not spoken in Parliament for a while. She's not voted for a while. Because, listen, simping for Boris Johnson is a full-time job, I guess. Simping for Boris Johnson is a full-time job. And she is very committed to that job. Very committed to the man who will not commit to anything ever. Very embarrassing. Um, So... <laughs> um she also <laughs> she was uh in the news this week because it was revealed that she was being investigated for 
just wild behaviour. Wild behaviour. She's apparently being investigated to see if she broke the law under the Honours Prevention of Abuses Act of 1925 for sending threatening messages to officials after she was not awarded a peerage. It was also revealed that she threatened to use her TV show and her position in the House of Commons to get to the bottom of why she wasn't granted an honour in Boris Johnson's resignation honours list. I've never seen somebody so entitled. This is so fucking embarrassing. Like, what the fuck? What the fuck? She also apparently asked the cabinet secretary, Simon Case, if she could be added onto Liz Truss's resignation honours list instead after she was removed from Boris Johnson's. <laughs> she's, she's, look, the only thing that she's thirstier for other than Boris Johnson is a peerage, apparently. She wants her seat in the Lords and she wants her man. There's no accounting for taste. I, God, the shit is desperate. The shit is desperate. Just go and get a fucking job, Nadine. Nobody owes you anything. That's what the Tories are always telling us. No one owes you a living. No one owes you anything. Well, get off your ass and go to work, Nadine. It's over. The gravy train has stopped. You've been thrown off the train. You've been escorted out of the station by the security guards because you're being messy. It's over. Bye. Fucking bye. Anyway, uh, speaking of uh, bye. Um, <laughs> so uh, there are a lot of, of Tories who, who seem to have just given up. Just given up. Um, to the point, actually, where apparently Rishi Sunak had to host a barbecue, <laughs> a barbecue to boost morale for Tory MPs because they're just, they're feeling really shit about what's going on, I guess. Um, so in in what I can only assume was just like a, a case of, I don't know, maybe quiet quitting with a huge side of arrogance and cruelty a very weird and gross thing happened this this week so ben wallace the defense secretary it was reported that he said um that ukraine should say thank you more to the uk for support in terms of, of weapons and, and aid and things like that, because the UK is not an Amazon service for weapons. I mean, listen, firstly, um, firstly, I, I, I do find it amusing that he's getting precious about that, because I mean, the UK government has actually tried pretty hard to make us Amazon for weapons, actually. Um, so that's a bit of a weird flex. But secondly, the Tories and the UK government should be saying thank you to Ukraine because they have absolutely used the plight of the Ukrainian people 
They have used what has been happening to people in Ukraine for polling, for PR, any time something bad happened in the Johnson administration, Boris Johnson would fucking hurtle himself over to Ukraine and he would go and bother President Zelensky and have a little walk around and take some pictures while that man was literally fighting a Russian invasion. Anytime that the UK government is criticised, they bring up Ukraine and they say, oh, but, you know, we're doing all this for Ukraine and we're helping Ukraine. How the fuck dare you tell them that they have to say thank you and express gratitude and all of this shit when you have been using the illegal invasion of their country to publicise your own government and to talk as if your government's something real great. Like, they don't owe you shit. You owe them, <laughs> to be frank. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. The world is a better place when we help other people. And if you see a country that is in danger, they are literally being invaded, you just help them. And you don't do it because you expect back pats and pats on the head and hugs and kisses. You do it because it's the right thing to do. Like, that's it. It's fucking ridiculous to say to a guy who, who is literally fighting off an invasion from Russia right now to say to him, oh, well, you didn't say thank you enough and it made me feel very devalued. Fuck off, Ben Wallace. Just a ridiculous, ridiculous man. Anyways. <laughs> anyways, so... <laughs> President Zelensky was asked about this and he said that he didn't know what Ben Wallace meant. Um by his comments. Rishi Sunak then jumped in and said that President Zelensky had expressed gratitude many times and he refused to stand by Ben Wallace. Girl. Girl. I mean, this is the thing, you know, the UK government has repeatedly said that they want to be there for Ukraine. They want to support them. They want to help them. You cannot get angry at them. You cannot get angry at them. If, if, they, if they then take you up on that. If you say, we're going to be there for you no matter what you need... And then they say, great, okay, here's what I need. Like, what are they supposed to do? Put on a fucking special tea for you? You know, do some sandwiches? Get you a little thank you present? A box of fucking Cadbury Heroes? There are children being murdered by Russian soldiers. Like, we've seen that shit. They don't have time to protect your fucking feelings, Ben Wallace. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so he fucked around and found out. Um, there is a reshuffle coming for the Tories. That'll be quite exciting to, 
to watch unfold. I love a bit of chaos. Um, so I guess Ben Wallace decided to get in ahead of it before it happened. He said that he would be quitting the cabinet at the next reshuffle and will actually be standing down as an MP um, at the next election. Okay. Um, <laughs> it turns out that the reason that Ben Wallace announced this at the weekend randomly, instead of, I don't know, just waiting, doing something else, I guess, was because he wanted to get out ahead of what he believed was a betrayal. So he heard that Rishi Sunak was planning to pretend that basically he told Ben Wallace he should step down as a result of Ben Wallace's comments on Ukraine and that that was what was going on and so it was a big win for the Prime Minister. But in actual fact, Ben Wallace had been planning to, to stand down and to quit about four weeks ago. So I guess, I don't know, maybe he's been on fucking autopilot for the last four weeks, which would explain the absolutely insane comments to uh, President Zelensky. Because, I mean, I don't have much respect for Tories, as you'll know. Um, but Ben Wallace, at the very least, does not really have a huge history of being publicly a fucking weirdo in this way. I mean, he's had his moments, but he's, you know, he's not, you know, he's not completely out of pocket all the time. So this did kind of seem a bit wild for him to do. So I do kind of wonder if perhaps this was just him being like, I can't be asked anymore. I don't even want to show up and do my job and be a fucking professional. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't know. It was very, very weird. Um, but yeah, so he's going, but he wants everyone to know it was his idea and he was already quitting and you can't tell him different. Uh, <laughs> which I mean, <laughs> okay, okay, sure. I believe you thousands wouldn't. So I am once again, <laughs> I am once again about to jump in and um, say some things that some of my fellow lefties may not be super into, but I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Um, so this week on Twitter... There was a young person called Chloe and they posted a picture that got them a ton of abuse. What was that picture? Well, that picture was of Chloe at an event that they had been invited to as part of a programme that encourages and gives opportunities to disadvantaged people 
to engage with and be involved in politics. Now, what's interesting is that a lot of people that were sending them abuse, um, if you have a little look, a lot of them have talked about how it's important for marginalised people and disadvantaged people to have opportunities to be engaged in politics. And actually, it is something that is a big topic on the left in general. However, when it's actually put into practice, when it actually happens, a lot of these people will get angry. A lot of these people will send abuse to people and get fucking mad because it's not happening in the way that they want it to. So, um, Chloe actually posted about the abuse that they were getting and said, lots and lots of hate under this post. I was able to do this through a program that allows disadvantaged people an insight in politics. I myself am working class and live in a very low income family. Stop calling me slurs. This was through a programme for disadvantaged people to gain an insight into politics. I worked incredibly hard to be awarded a place and we don't get to choose who we meet or what we do as it's completely free. Fuck the Tories, but also fuck everyone attacking me. Fair. So the reason they were so mad, the reason everybody was coming for this person, was because they were at an event that was also attended by the education secretary. And apparently, that that is Chloe's fault, that is their fault, apparently. Um, even though they stated that they could not choose who they met or what the event was, apparently it was their fault that Gillian Keegan was there. <laughs> Fucking ridiculous. Um, so for the crime of being at an event, what happened? Well, Chloe received a lot of abuse. Uh, there were death threats. There were ableist slurs. Um, there's a couple of DMs that they posted screenshots of as well that I wanted to touch on briefly. Um, so here's one from a really brave guy called Tim. And Tim said, Careerist briefcase dickhead. The fact that you'd even be in the same room with Tory scum is proof that nobody in youth political party scheme should ever be trusted to look out for anyone but themselves. Sort your life out. You saw your life out, Tim, at the big age of 26, running around sending abusive messages to young people? Get fucked. Um, there's also this one uh, from somebody who, who's not, not willing to give a name, but very willing to give abuse on the internet. Have some fucking shame, you bootlicking careerist cunt. Imagine lacking the self-awareness to know that talking to young people like that, calling them a cunt, like you're the one that should have some fucking shame. You are the one, it's, it's you. It's not this young person, it's you. Like, 
unbelievable unbelievable um but this to me is is not just a a one-off issue because this is something i've seen a lot um there there were also a lot of people who were sending abuse to to Chloe and saying that they were doing so um effectively in the name of of trans people and the trans community um and and that's how they were justifying it that they were they were doing it for that reason because of Gillian Keegan's part in the uh government's current trans policy and yet none of these people had anything to say when Chloe pointed out that they were also part of the trans community and that they had raised the issues and concerns of the trans community with Gillian Keegan at this event which because because here's the thing one of the one of the things that gets said a lot is you know we should be, you know, confronting the Tories and all of this. One now, bitch. Chloe did. They went to that event and they used the opportunity that they had to speak up for themselves and other non-binary people as well as other trans people at that event. What now? They have certainly done more to help and support the trans community than some faceless coward on Twitter who decided to send them abuse. Let's be fucking real about that. Um, but as I was saying, you know, it's it's not just a one-off thing because I have seen this a lot. There's this whole thing, people talking about how young people, working class people, LGBT people need to have opportunities, need to have the ability to be involved. But then when those marginalised people take those opportunities, even if it's not perfect, even if it's not exactly how they would want it, they take an opportunity. They work hard and they take an opportunity and then they are raked over the coals for it. This guy uh, called Woke Commie, okay, um, they said... If you're in a political space and you can't even handle the mildest of criticism, then why are you even here? It was not mild criticism. People DMing this person and calling them slurs, sending them death threats, piling on with abusive message after abusive message is not mild criticism. It's bullying. It is bullying. End of period no more discussion it's bullying and this bullying seems to happen a lot an awful lot to young people on the left it happens a lot to marginalized people on the left um i've seen a lot of bullying towards towards black and asian activists on the left to LGBT activists on the left, young people, women as well, quite a lot. And it always seems to come from the people who don't actually really do anything of value. 
Like, what, what, what is it that these people do? Seriously, what, what is it they do? What is it they've accomplished? For real. They talk about how they want to make politics more accessible. Well, when have you? When have you? When has that happened? When has it happened? I want to know. The answer is it hasn't and it never will. But if we, if we are serious about making sure that marginalised people have opportunities to engage, to be involved in politics, this has got to go. Now, I, I am someone who is serious about that. I, I am. But I think that a lot of people are not. They say they are because they think it's the right thing to say, but they don't actually care about it and they don't actually mean it. Um, and the bullying and, frankly, abusive conduct is another barrier to involvement, to being around politics and engaging and being part of everything you know like I say all the time this is stuff that affects all of our lives but if marginalized people can't be involved because of the bullying because of the harassment that's when that's when we get ignored that's when our voices aren't heard that's why we're ignored when it comes to policy making and all of that like <laughs> that's why it happens and sometimes I really do think that it's by design I really do <laughs> Um, I'm very fortunate um, that the political spaces that I'm in right now are, are safe and they are spaces where I am confident. I, I can talk, I can say what's on my mind, I can be involved and I know that it's going to be okay. I'm not going to be belittled, I'm not going to be talked down to, I'm not going to be on the receiving end of abuse and harassment for speaking my mind or just just for existing, you know, um, because I have been in spaces where that has happened before, literally people starting shit with me, <laughs> for what reason? <laughs> like we agree on shit, you're just, you're just fucking starting on me, because what? Because I'm a woman, because I'm ethnic, because I'm poor and shit, like, leave me the fuck alone, but I don't have that now, because I've got a good space where people are making a conscious effort to make it safe for me to be there, but I know that there are many people who are not that lucky, and they don't have access to a space like that, and really, that's what this program that this young person was engaging with was trying to do. The organisation was trying to create opportunities and spaces for people who often will face difficulties engaging in politics and they will face barriers, including bullying and harassment. And all of these people who decided that they wanted to send hate to a young person and send abuse to a young person all they have done is proven the need for spaces like this. And so... So 
so I think that if we, you know, as left-wing people, if we are going to succeed, if we are going to really genuinely create these opportunities for marginalised people, we need to actually have these uncomfortable conversations. I know that some people, they don't like to talk about it because it's embarrassing and, oh, we're already getting criticised enough as it is and all the press is against us. I get that. I do. But if we sit here and we we silently pretend it's not happening and we pretend that there are not political spaces where marginalised people feel unsafe in left-wing environments and we pretend that abuse and harassment isn't happening and bullying isn't happening. <laughs> That's a story in and of itself. It, it still doesn't look good if we just pretend it doesn't happen. And the people doing it, they carry on because they feel like they can. So, so someone has to stand up and do something. And... Thankfully, I'm not the only one. There were a, a number of people, not just, you know, in Labour Party circles, but in, in other, you know, kind of left-wing adjacent spaces who were standing up for this young person um, and calling out the bullying and harassment that they faced. I, I need I need to stop coming on this show and encouraging you to do shit. <laughs> I'm not in charge of you. But what I will say is if you are somebody and you wanna you wanna do a little good, call it out when you see it. You know? I understand. I understand. Politics is very angry. <laughs> it is. I'm not going to pretend it's not. But there has to be lines and there has to be decency. And if we're at a point where effectively, you know, bullying marginalised people is just okayed by everybody because nobody says anything and nobody does anything, then what's the point? Seriously, what was the point? So I'm just saying we can create safer spaces for people to engage and get involved. Because if we don't, then all political spaces will become is playgrounds for the rich and the bored and also for weird, unhinged people who like being horrible. And that sounds very fucking shit. So, <laughs> so let's not have that. Let's really make these spaces for everybody. An amazing, show-stopping, brilliant idea from Education Secretary Gillian Keegan, who is absolutely worth all the money that our taxes pay her and she's really great and I will not hear a bad word said against her. That's sarcasm, but I'm aware that I sound quite sarcastic all the time when I'm talking sometimes. So, you know, just so you know. So she had a great idea this week. She said that head teachers should pick up absent pupils from home and take them to school. 
you know what? I think I might be onto something with this whole the Tories are quiet quitting thing. For real. Like, I feel like they genuinely, they just can't be asked anymore. So, and they know they're going to lose the next election. So they're just being like, fuck it. We'll do whatever we want. We'll just say whatever we want. It doesn't matter if it's dumb, whatever. Um, so she said that levels of absence in schools were a crisis. Oh. And that head teachers should visit the homes of absent pupils and bring them to school. How? How? It's ridiculous. So she was asked in a Sky News interview if she would do that herself. And she said, yes, she would pick pupils up herself. What the f... Okay, listen. Okay, here's the thing. Teachers including head teachers, already have enough to fucking do. And they do not have enough hours in the day. That's why a lot of work that teachers and head teachers and, and people all over the, the school, really, a lot of them do extra work at home on the weekends. Like, there is so much effectively admin that goes into teaching. There is so much that you have to do in the background, behind the scenes that I think most of us do not see, their job doesn't finish at 3.30. They still have so much to do, so much. And they, they straight up do not have the time in the day during the hours that they're paid to do it. They don't. So, so when exactly are head teachers or really any member of staff at the school, when are they supposed to find time where are they supposed to find a vehicle, actually, <laughs> that, that is insured to carry students wherever they're going? Um, wh when are they supposed to find the time to go driving around to pick people up and bring them to school? When is that supposed to happen? You know, and like I said, you know, there is the insurance issue in terms of, you know, driving and cars and stuff like that. Um, I remember... Um, I think I can say this because my school, my school is shut now. Um, but when I was in secondary school, we had a teacher who wanted us to go on a school trip. And basically none of us wanted to go. So none of us signed the permission slips and everything like that. Um, and <laughs> she basically guilted us all into going. But none of us had signed permission slips. And so it was a huge clusterfuck because if anything had happened to any of us, she would have been in so much fucking trouble. Luckily, we all ended up back safe um, and it, you know, it was fine. But if something had happened to us, if she had crashed the car, because she was driving us in her own car, I don't know what the insurance situation was with that. I don't know if she had the right insurance to be carrying students around. Um, she obviously didn't have our parents' permission. So if anything had gone wrong, we would have been in a lot of trouble. Well, she would have been in a lot of trouble, but we would have been in a bad situation. You know, so there are these rules in place for a reason because you can't just have random adults running around picking up kids and driving them all over the place. That's insane. Um, but apparently, this is what the government thinks that, that head teachers should be doing. Um, <laughs> like, come on. 
come on. Um, she said, head teachers do have a duty. We all have to play our part. Sometimes you have to go to the home or sometimes you have to text the parent in the morning. Sometimes you just have to do whatever is possible. That's not what we want head teachers doing all of their days. But to be honest, right now, if that works to get somebody in school, it's worth it. I'd go pick them up myself if I could. Well, you know what? Gillian, perhaps you ought to, because it doesn't seem like you're doing anything of value in the Department of Education. So, yeah, yeah, fine. You go run the carpool and you let the actual qualified teachers who know how to actually create a safe environment for kids where they can thrive, you let them do their job without you interfering and fucking it up. And you, you go you go run the carpool or whatever you want to do, love. Um, and we'll see how you get on. We'll see how you get on because I, I don't think it's going to be as easy as you are making it out. Um, I don't think that it's going to be easy for you because that's that's the thing as well. Um, you know, a, a government minister in a faraway fucking office in Whitehall or whatever is not going to have any idea of what teachers are dealing with day to day. And they're not going to know what the real reasons are behind these issues with children's attendance they have no idea because they're not actually involved in a major way and they're not getting involved and they're not asking the right questions. And that's very evident by the fact that her response to this is, you guys should just like go and pick them up. You should do that. <laughs> like, girl, that is a head empty answer. That's what that is. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Speaking of ridiculous, Lee Anderson, he is the deputy chair of the Conservative Party. He is a GB News person. Uh, so he's got his GB News show uh, that apparently nobody watches because it is, <laughs> it is hemorrhaging of viewers <laughs> with every episode, which is very funny. Um, so he is under investigation by the Parliamentary Commissioner for Standards because he filmed his GB News show on the roof terrace in Parliament, which he should not have done. Um, is it going to come to anything? I don't know. But it's just funny to watch him having a shit time, really. <laughs> I just I just enjoy that. I just I just enjoy watching Tory suffer. I'm not going to lie. Um... But uh, speaking of GB News, Jacob Rees-Mogg said in the House of Commons this week that other members of Parliament might be jealous of his show on GB News. Girl, jealous of what? Nobody's watching it. Nobody cares. Jealous of what? <laughs> I mean, listen, I would say... I would say that... If GB News is just handing out TV shows to random Tory MPs like Candy, people with no real charisma, no talent, just handing them TV shows, that to me would say we're desperate for content because no actual broadcasters will work with us. Nobody of value will work with us. So sure, have a show. Like, that's not a good sign, darling. It's a sign of a dying network. But if you want to be delusional, that's okay. 
I hope you enjoy putting on a show for your like three viewers or whatever. <laughs> enjoy that, my darling. <laughs> Enjoyment. What do I enjoy? Well, I enjoy music. I do. And actually, I have to tell you, actually, oh my God. I have a new single out on Friday, the 21st of July. So if you like music, you might like that. Ah, look at that. Look at that. That was, that was seamless. That was seamless. Um, I'll put the link in the description. It's fine. Anyway. <laughs> but uh, who who else could, could be releasing a single soon? He's not. He's not releasing a single. It would be camp if he did. I Listen. Listen. I listen to MP4 all the time. I'm a big fan of politicians making music. But... <laughs> but no, Keir Starmer talked this week about his plans for music and arts in school. And I, I kind of liked it. I kind of did. I kind of had to stand. Um, so he spoke to Classic FM and he talked about what he wants to do in terms of the curriculum at schools. And his plan is to change the curriculum to give all young people access to music. And you know what? I think that's a good thing. I do. I do. So he talked about his own background of um, music in school. And you know what? Great. This is, this is actually the kind of thing that I want to see from the Labour Party. I want to see their ambitions for a better government. I want to see what they will do to make people's lives better. And this, this is what I'm talking about. You know, there are going to be some cynical bastards who are going to take the piss and be like, oh, what does fucking playing the flute teach you about life? Oh, what does playing guitar or being in the choir teach you about paying a mortgage? But listen, firstly, actually... There are a, a great number of things that music can help with in terms of other subjects. Um, but you know what? We've gone over that time and time again. And I think what's actually important here is that we're talking about kids. We're talking about kids. Why can't they have, you know, a lesson or two a week where they have fun? Why can't learning be fun? Why can't they have something to look forward to? Like, Jesus Christ. I, I mean, there are a number of ways in which uh, music, as well as other artistic subjects, help you with other subjects and can help prepare you for, you know, the life of work and all of that. But that discussion's been done to death. And frankly, I am sick and tired of having to go on about the, the the value of art and music and, and drama and things like that in, in relation to capitalism or whatever. Sometimes kids should just have time where they can have fun and do something that is enriching for them, okay? Children should have the right to access things that are fun, and that will make them smile and make them happy. These are children, okay? We like to talk about how the days of the workhouse are over, but I don't know, because everybody seems obsessed 
with school being nothing more than preparing kids for several decades of a grey, boring life where they don't have any happiness or any joy. And I think that's fucking bullshit. There's there's a whole host of other issues. You know, there's been a lot of discussion and discourse about, you know, stuff like kids having to ask permission to go to the toilet and having that permission be denied to them, which is insane. Um, You know, things about kids' hairstyles, you know, oh... If they come in and, and, you know, a girl has, you know, this kind of hairstyle, she'll be sent home, excluded, all of this. They're kids, for God's sake. Just let them have fun. You know, let them have an unregulated hairstyle every now and again. Who does it really hurt? Let them go to the toilet if they need to go to the fucking toilet. And let them have maybe an hour a week. Well, I, I would prefer more. But, I mean, you know, sometimes you've got to compromise. Let them have some space, some time to do something that is that is good for their souls, man. Why can't they play some music? Why can't they form a, a fucking band? I was, I was in a band at school. We were very good. Uh, <laughs> for real, we actually were. I mean, we did split over, like, you know, artistic differences because... I wanted to, I wanted to do like, um, you know, kind of retro, like surf rock and, you know, maybe some, you know, kind of 50s stuff and everything. And the rest of the band were really into doing the like metal and stuff. And I was like, sweetie, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not, so we split up, but I, I, I then had a, a great career as a solo artist. And by that, I mean, I was kind of wheeled out to sing at like every assembly and shit ever. And like parents evening. It was, it was great. I was, I was in my Beyonce era, you know, and it was, it was good. It was good. <laughs> um, But you know, the thing as well that I will say is there's this idea that that music is not something that can be a valid pursuit for people and so there's no point teaching it to kids that's bullshit i i was very fortunate that when i was at school um i was able to to study gcse music and one of the things that i learned about that i hadn't been aware of before was you know electronic production composition and that is something that i have been able to use in my adult life i've been able to you know improve on those skills that i picked up when i was doing my gcse's and now i i've been able to to write and produce for for myself for other people um and i never would have had that insight and i never would have had the access to that if I didn't have a music teacher that gave a shit about me and that wanted to help me to learn things. You know, I, I, I just, I don't see what harm there is in allowing kids to access subjects that, that let them express themselves. Maybe they won't go on to a career in music. That's fine. Maybe they just want to have fun. Maybe they just want to do something fun. What is so wrong with that? And I do very much support Keir Starmer in in his quest 
to <laughs> to um to to push this as an idea i think that's good and i'm i'm very happy that he is standing up for music in education i think that's really something great and i'm very happy with that however however <laughs> mark darcy giveth mark darcy taketh away Sorry, I watched Bridget Jones the other day and so I'm once again in my era of being like, oh my God, Mark Darcy from Bridget Jones is apparently based on Keir Starmer. And I, I just, I just want to know if there is footage of him punching a smarmy man who works in publishing in the street. I just want to know if it exists. That's all. That is all I want to know. And then I want to know if I can see it. And then I want to know if there's a picture of him in a reindeer jumper at a turkey curry party. I, I just want to know. <laughs> Can we get some journalists onto this, please? Can we? Thank you. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so, um, Keir Starmer. Girl. He said uh, later in the week that Labour would rebuild broken Britain. <laughs> okay. Uh, but he said that Labour cannot win power by spending. Labour needs to reform and create wealth. Right. Right? Okay. Elaborate, please. What do you mean? What do you mean? Uh, so he said that um, Labour needs to take seriously the foundations of economic responsibility. Okay. Um, and he says that that may not set people's pulses racing, but the new country we can build on top of them will do. And he also said that the Labour Party must not retreat to its normal comfort zone of promising vast sums of money. Okay, listen, listen, I would, I could understand that. Were we not in a situation where the Conservatives have starved literally everything of money for over a decade? So we're at a point where nothing really works nothing works and everything is in desperate need of money like just just because just because it sounds more sensible to say well we can't give money to everything that doesn't mean that it's it's like the right answer if you are faced with a situation where literally every public service is starved of money and resources how do you reform something when there's barely anything left would be my question. What, what, what does he actually plan to do? What are you going to do, Keir Starmer? What's the plan? Like, you know, you have to be real about what you're facing. You are facing a, a landscape where the Tories have just starved everything. So you actually do have to spend a bit of money to get things back on track. 
And I understand, perhaps he's concerned, because I know that the Labour Party, I would say unfairly, actually, uh, but the Labour Party has uh, a reputation for just throwing money at things and not really thinking about the consequences. But if you look contextually, if the Labour Party said, for example, we're going to to put money into these things that need it, people would understand. I think he has to have faith in people to be able to perceive him and to understand. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like th this this kind of feels like he's writing people off and he's saying, look, if we promise money, they're going to panic. Blah, 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 blah. So we just have to like not do that. And that, uh, you know, uh, he's he's kind of chastising people for finding him uninspiring. But it's like, well, what do you want me to do, love? We've just suffered through all of this shit from the Tories. And then you're telling us, well, listen, it's still going to be shit for quite some time. Is it, Keir Starmer? Because we've just heard just this week that government departments are handing billions of pounds back to the Treasury because apparently they can't be asked to do anything with it. So you're telling me that the Labour Party is not going to make any better use of that money? Why? Why? Like, that That would be what I would want to know, personally. But um, there are other people who want to know things from Keir Starmer. Um, so there is a, a group of climate activists who are planning to stage weekly protests outside of Labour offices due to a lack of action from Keir Starmer on the climate crisis. So Green New Deal rising will be protesting outside of Labour offices uh, in regards to this. They they also, they had a little, a little photo that they took outside of, um, I, th I think this is, uh, I think this might be Keir Starmer's constituency office maybe, yeah. Um, they also disrupted a speech by Keir Starmer last week um, and they want to talk to him about a Green New Deal to try and fight climate change and create a better economy and landscape where we can be more climate efficient. Um, I mean, if he's about to be prime minister, which he certainly seems to think he will be, girl, you're going to have to talk. You're going to have to. It's going to have to happen. Uh, I I do worry that there is this kind of vibe that I'm getting from Keir Starmer of, you know, we can just, we don't, we don't have to, we don't have to deal with that. It's fine. But you kind of do, darling. You kind of do. If you want to be prime minister, you've got to get with my friends. I mean, get, get, together with people and have these discussions so <laughs> you know um I don't think that we need another government that's just going to ignore people I don't think that's helpful um speaking of ignoring people I'm so good with my segues today look at me go um so last week we talked about Scottish Labour not really deviating from the Tories at all in terms of drug policy in Scotland, um, the Scottish government came forward with some proposals that there is a lot of evidence to support would lower drug deaths and keep people safer when it came to to drugs. And that was 
immediately shot down by the Conservatives, but also by Scottish Labour. And now Scottish Labour has kind of just doubled down on this, which... Um... Right. So Anna Sawa uh, spoke about it this week again, and he said that Labour does not even plan to devolve drug laws to Scotland to help tackle drug deaths in Scotland. Um, and what's frustrating about this is that drug deaths are something that Scottish Labour, as well as a lot of other opposition parties in Scotland, will throw at the Scottish government. And they will talk as if they care very deeply about this issue. But when they are faced with the opportunity to actually do something, when they are faced with the opportunity to actually tackle the issues around drug use and the problems that it can cause for people, when they are given the opportunity to save people's lives, they don't, they don't care about it anymore. And they're just like, no, no, I don't think. Because listen, what is being done at Westminster in terms of substance abuse, drug usage, drug deaths is not working it's not working obviously so if you want for drug deaths to come down you've got to try something else and the scottish government is offering up proposals that may help and they're being shot down at every turn and so you have to ask yourself what is the point of scottish labor man what is the point Again, it goes back to we're not the Tories and that's their only answer. And I'm sorry, but that's bullshit. People are dying. Why don't they care about that? They care about it when they can get some headlines and, and shame people for the statistics and everything like that. But they don't seem to care about the real people that are involved in this crisis. And that's sad. That's really sad. Um... You know, as I, I said I said about this last week, you know, this is something that that I personally, you know, have, you know, some experience of and it's it's something that I'll be completely honest, I, I have, you know, kind of I've shied away from talking about it before in great detail because honestly it's it's upsetting as somebody who who has lost someone, um you know it's it's hard to talk about but these proposals honestly like it gave me hope that things could get better that there could be a way forward to help people that maybe more people didn't have to die and it is genuinely quite upsetting to see um, quite a few people who are basically refusing to even consider it or look at the evidence that supports these policies because they want to play party political games. Like, that is upsetting, to be completely real with you. And I... I am, I am disappointed in in pretty much everyone involved i mean the the tories i kind of expected it but i know 
I actually know for a fact, because I've spoken to some people involved in Scottish Labour, and I know for a fact that there are quite a few people who actually do want to to go forward and look at this in more detail, and they've basically just been shut down because it is, you know, it's being done for dodgy reasons. It's not that the actual policies are bad. It's not that the ideas are bad. It is, you know... And that's really fucking disappointing because people's lives could be saved and it's really fucked up that that playing games is prioritised over people's lives. That just makes me sad. I need to talk about something that doesn't make me sad because... I don't want to cry on podcast, man. I don't want to do that. Let's shout about Boris Johnson now. Cheer me up. Um, so Boris Johnson. <laughs> Boris Johnson, a.k.a. the worst prime minister in the history of prime ministers. I, I feel like I always want to call him that because I know it would really hurt his feelings and I'm really into hurting the feelings of Boris Johnson. Um, so... <laughs> uh, Boris Johnson, um, he has been ordered to hand over his previous mobile phone with WhatsApps and messages on it to the COVID inquiry. Um, and because if you remember, he changed his phone midway through the crisis for apparently no reason. I wonder why. So he had this older phone... And he was ordered to hand it over. And then at the last minute, suddenly, suddenly he couldn't open the phone. Suddenly he didn't know what the password was on the phone to open it. What a surprise. What a shocking moment. This man thinks that everybody is a fucking idiot honestly truly um i i don't buy it i do not buy it um just go go it's just the non-stop lies from this man it's the non-stop lies. Um, so there was a lot of talk about how um, how his phone would be harder to access because of extra um, security settings and things like that. But then it was revealed, you know, because he mystically remembered the password and was able to confirm that. It was revealed that he was able to obtain his iPhone password using government records. And so he was magically able to give the messages to the COVID inquiry. <laughs> sure. Okay. Okay. So I'm sure that if they were to look at that phone, absolutely nothing has been deleted I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, and 
also i i think it's pretty it's pretty dodge to be writing down your password or having it somewhere on government records i mean that's kind of just like you know safety 101 you absolutely do not write down passwords ever but i would say especially if you are literally the prime minister <laughs> like girl what if someone was uh i mean th there's got to be some incriminating evidence on that phone everybody's aware of that so why was he writing that down that's weird but i mean it's boris as Boris, you know how he is. You know how he gets. Oh, what an absolute fucking idiot, my God. Um, but yeah, I'm sure there's absolutely nothing suspicious about the huge delay of him being able to give his messages to the COVID inquiry. I'm sure absolutely none of the messages have gone missing. None at all. I can't believe you'd accuse him like that. He's such an honest guy after all. If you wanted a clue as to how seriously the Tories are taking upcoming elections, um, here is something that was said by a Tory source uh, to journalist Noah Hoffman ahead of the Uxbridge by-election. Barbie's car would not be Euler's compliant. As the movie says, she's everything. He's just Khan. Under Labour's Euler's, Life in plastic isn't so fantastic. Barbie, sweetie, I am so sorry that these dumb bitches have dragged you into this. I am so sorry that you are being disrespected in this way. My darling, you don't deserve it. Listen, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's their attempt to kind of prove that they're, you know with it without realizing that people don't say with it anymore I, cringe cringe absolutely cringe um just ridiculous absolutely ridiculous um i mean i guess it's just cope for when they lose you know they can be like you know what it wasn't that serious <laughs> it was never that serious uh, speaking of people who don't seem that serious about winning elections, let's have a little chat again about Keir Starmer. I feel like I'm talking about him more and more these days, which I guess is is like a good sign for him because, you know, he was kind of just like bopping around in the background for a while because the Tories are being so chaotic that literally nobody gave a shit what the opposition was doing. But now he's kind of in the spotlight, which I guess is a good thing for a guy who aspires to be the prime minister. Um, but maybe not for this reason. So <laughs> we talked earlier in the episode and last week as well um, about the Labour Party refusing to differentiate themselves from the Tories when it came to progressive policies that were coming forward. And we talked as well about um, about the two-child benefit cap and the rape clause because there were... Um, there were discussions around Labour's policy on that. So this week, Keir Starmer was asked about it and he said... He confirmed it. He said that the Labour Party has no plans um, to drop 
that policy. So, <sighs> fuck, man. So he, he says, you know, he says that there needs to be reform. He says things need to get better. But for some reason, he doesn't want to start by removing one of the cruelest policies in recent memory. Um, right, okay, okay, fuck's sake. Um, and, and it appears that there are quite a few people in the Labour Party who are not super into all this, but <laughs> I don't know. I, it's just, it's pretty crazy because there have been a lot of, um, you know, old tweets and old social media posts and things like that coming back around um, in light of this because there are some people, of course, in the Labour Party who are just pretending it's completely fine. It's very cool. It's absolutely the right move because, I don't know, they want to keep their jobs or whatever. Um, and <laughs> and they don't have much to say right now about this decision um, and their old posts are coming back up to haunt them, which is <laughs> the internet's forever, baby. <laughs> the internet's forever. Uh, one post that is going viral quite a lot, um, is a post from Angela Rayner, who is the deputy leader of the Labour Party, um, and she said, quite fairly, I think, uh, the obscene and inhumane two-child cap must go, as must the five-week wait. Now, she said this on the 3rd of December 2020, and that tweet's still up. Fabulous. Love it. No notes. She ate. Whatever. Except... She doesn't appear to be saying all that much now. Now that the leader of her party, the party that she is the deputy leader of, <laughs> is saying that when they get into power, as they plan to do, there are no plans to remove the policy that she described as obscene and inhumane. And suddenly she, she's got nothing to say about that. That's very interesting. But you know who does? It's a surprise because <laughs> who saw this coming, actually? I don't know. I guess maybe he feels like he's got nothing to lose. He's never going to be leader of anything again. And he's a backbencher forever. So he's like, fuck it. I do what I want. It's Richard Leonard, former leader of Scottish Labour. He actually quote tweeted Angela's old tweet from 2020 and said, I agree with Angela. <laughs> Oh, he wants to play subtle. He wants to... Oh, that's... That's very cute. It's very... It's very cute. Um, he was not the only one who decided that they had something to say. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, Monica Lennon from Scottish Labour also said, Scottish Labour will always oppose the heinous two-child benefit cap and rape clause. It's not acceptable in Scotland or any part of the UK and UK Labour Party policy must always reflect this. Except, Monica, 
except Scottish Labour is actually not opposing it, are they? Like, be real. Just because you and a couple of your MSPs have the bravery to do the decent thing, that doesn't mean that it's actually your branch office's policy, is it, love? You know how I know that? Because the leader of Scottish Labour is taking quite the different tone. And this is what he had to say on the matter. He said that scrapping the two-child benefit cap would spook the markets... And that <laughs> refusing to scrap the policy was the right thing to do because scrapping the policy could result in a repeat of the economic crash caused by Liz Truss's mini-budget. What is the point of Scottish Labour? In fact, what is the point of the Labour Party in general? What the fuck? This shit is ridiculous and disgusting. I'm just gonna say it. It's a disgusting, pathetic thing that he has said. Anasawa is really acting as if... As if removing a cruel policy that strips rape survivors of their dignity is is the same as <laughs> giving more money to rich people during a cost of living crisis because shit like that that was what crashed the market for Liz Truss it was fucking around and cutting taxes for the rich and giving them loads and loads and fucking over regular people that was what the problem was the idea that just giving just giving people who are going through hardship a little bit of kindness a little bit of respect is going to crash the market that is absolute nonsense and that is he's saying that because he wants to try and get out of what's going on he wants to he wants to have something that allows him to avoid saying, I'm happy to allow survivors of rape to continue suffering. I'm happy for them to be re-traumatised, to have to go through some of the worst moments of their life just so that they can have access to what they need to be able to feed their kids. If it, if it means I get into power, if it means my party gets into power... I'm willing to make that sacrifice. That's what he can't say, but it's the truth. Because the idea that scrapping this clause, scrapping this policy, would crash the economy is economically illiterate. It's complete bullshit. He's pulled it out of his fucking ass. It's not true. It is not a fact. It is not true in any way. It is not true in any way. The only thing it would do would be to, to make life a little bit easier for survivors of rape and their children. That is it. That is all it would do. It would not crash the economy. It would not crash the markets. He is, he's throwing that out there 
in the hopes that no one's going to argue and push back and be like, you're talking shit, mate. You're chatting absolute shit. That's what he's hoping. Um, but um, unfortunately for him, that's not that's not going to happen. People have absolutely dragged him for his cowardice because that's what it is. And it's cowardice from the Labour leadership on the whole. Um, you know, there are some people actually trying to trying to let Anasawa off the hook and say, oh, well, it's not his fault. You know, the UK Labour Party, you know, has all this power over Scottish Labour and they can't do anything. They just have to go along with it. <laughs> Listen, I, I will completely accept that Scottish Labour, just like, you know, for example, Welsh Labour, does not have full autonomy. Just like most sort of you know, alternate country versions of of UK-wide parties. Unless they're actually registered as a separate party, like, for example, the Scottish Greens, they probably don't have autonomy. I accept that. I accept that. However, just because they don't have autonomy, that doesn't mean they have to roll over and do as they're fucking told. There have been plenty of examples of, for example, Welsh Labour actually standing up and and speaking up for the people that they represent, for the people that vote for them, for, for, for the Welsh people. And it, it's it's insane <laughs> that for some reason Anna Sarwaj doesn't want to. I mean, maybe it's because he knows that if he does, he's going to be out on his ass. Um, but surely it's better to be out on your ass knowing that you tried to make a difference, knowing that you tried to help people rather than keeping a job where you have no power and you're essentially just a puppet for Keir Starmer. Because that's what this is. We all know. <laughs> not the ice cream van again. Not this. We all know. I'm powering through it. It's fine. We're going to be fine. Um, you know, Keir Starmer was fucking bragging. Uh, it was a few weeks back, I think about basically getting rid of Richard Leonard. So I would imagine Anna Sawa has that in mind and is thinking, well, I, I, I don't want to be got rid of. <laughs> I better just do as I'm told and be a good boy. But Jesus Christ, what kind of a life is that? Is that the legacy you want? Abandoning vulnerable rape survivors so that you can have a few more months playing boss man at Holyrood, even though really you're never going to get close to power. Like, really? Is it worth it? Because it, it doesn't seem like it to me. And there are a few MSPs in his party who who are willing to put standing up for people ahead of the pursuit of power. And I think that's great. I think some of them are a little bit... <laughs> bless them they're a little deluded if they think that you know Scottish Labour as a whole is going to get behind that because I really don't think that they will um but fuck at least they tried you know what I mean at least they tried which is more than Anna Sawa can say frankly um apparently there are some people in the Labour Party um you know in a, in a wider sense who are quite unhappy including shadow cabinet ministers um who are apparently in meltdown over Keir Starmer's decision uh, to keep the benefit cap. Does he talk to his shadow cabinet? 
Does he have a chat with them? I... Now, listen, how are you going to have collective responsibility if you don't fucking have a collective? <laughs> how does that work? I, I don't know. Um, but Keir Starmer has... Uh, he has been given a new little nickname. Um... It's been trending on Twitter for the last few hours. I don't think he's going to like this. Um, and, it, and it does it does shock me a little because he's in a situation where really winning that next election should be quite simple for him. Everybody's sick of the Tories. And yet, despite the Tories knowing everyone is sick of them, they keep just being really fucking shit and horrible. So you're pretty much guaranteed quite a lot of Tory fuck-ups in the build-up to this election. So, literally all the opposition has to do is just be sort of vaguely competent and offer something quite hopeful. And they're kind of away. But... But then Keir Starmer decides to do this. I... What the fuck? Anyway, the kids on Twitter are calling him Sir Kid Starver, which I mean... <laughs> I don't know what he expected. I, I don't know if someone in his team told him that this was a good idea. I don't know if someone told him that this would play well and make him seem sensible and economically smart or whatever. But whoever advised him to do this, whoever let him do this is a fucking idiot. Listen, leaders of, of political parties, sure, they have their own minds, but they still have people around them that will tell them, you know, OK, maybe this is a good idea. Maybe that's a good idea. Don't do that. Don't wear that. You know what I mean? Shit like that. Is is nobody in the Labour Party talking to Keir Starmer? Does he just does he just live in a glass box? Like what? What? I it's it's absolutely insane. Like I said, he is facing honestly one of the easiest elections that a leader of the opposition could ever wish for. And he is fumbling the fucking bag. It's it's actually quite insane to watch. And I... I do wonder if they're going to row back on this. But frankly, I think it's probably too late. Because um, he's already had, you know, some of his people going out and defending this shit. He's gone out and defended this shit. So... I, I think it's too late, honestly. You can't you can't take something like this back. You know, if you stand there and you say you're going to do a better job than the current government, you're going to give people a brighter future, and then you turn around and you say, oh, but actually, we're still going to continue to make life hell for rape survivors and their families and their children. You can't take that back. It's, it's one of those things that you, once the bottle's open, it gets sort of smashed on the floor and... Yeah, there's, there's no taking that back. Um, so, <sighs> it kind of seems like none of the major two parties actually want to win. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'll take it on. I'll, no, I won't. Oh, my God. No, I won't. No. 
I mean, listen, I don't want to be prime minister, but like, that's because I have other things I want to do. But like, they're in this, they're elected and shit. They need to get it together. Obviously, I don't want Rishi Sunak to get it together. I don't think I really want Keir Starmer either, especially the way things are going. But it's just very weird. It's very weird. I just, I kind of get the vibe that either, no, no, neither of them want to win or both of these two parties are led by absolutely incompetent weirdos who just have no clue what they're doing. It's very weird. It's kind of, it's giving, it's giving like the last Tory leadership election. You kind of felt like neither of them wanted it, but they had to just keep going and see it through <laughs> after the mess that was Elizabeth. <laughs> oh my God. Is is that what it's become? Running the UK is now just, oh, well, I don't really want to, but I guess, fine. Like, if, if that's the enthusiasm that we're getting from leaders, then I think we're fucked, really, aren't we? Okay, besties, that's all for this week, but I'll catch you again next week. Love you, bye. I nearly wet myself Thanks for listening, bestie. I hope you enjoyed the show and I will see you again next time for a new episode of What the Actual Fuck is Going On With This Whole Politics Business. Uh, the, the stuff about me paddle the nonsense. The sea was actually closed. It was a, a red notice. You just can't call it. We will not be caught with no clothes on. I've always been a completely normal UK tax player. It's not in opposition that I want to be and it's Nicola's desk I want. I want to serve this country as First Minister and its Labour values. You can have the desk, you're just not getting the job. I don't know if you've been to Peppa Pig World. Who's been to Pads? I've been to, who's been to Peppa Pig World. In December, I'll be in Beijing opening up new pork markets. I mean, seriously. What the actual fuck? Love you, bye.